Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. Today, we are going to be talking all about distributions in retirement. So when you retire, you lose your regular income. Where does that money come from? And we see this go multiple different ways depending on the person. So we are going to talk through the recommendations, the right way to do things, and the most tax efficient way to do things. And this is one of the most common questions that we get. Right, you spent a lifetime, 30, 40 years, 50 years even for some people, building and saving, and that's pretty straightforward. But when it's time to reverse that and you start to live off your portfolio, to draw on assets, that's often not talked about. So we're gonna cover what's the most tax efficient place to take withdrawals, some pitfalls that people fall into, and some things you can think about as you approach your golden years and if you're already retired, we're gonna walk you through how each account is taxed, each account type is taxed, and the most tax efficient order of operation for getting your funds out of those accounts. Okay, so first let's start with the basic knowledge, the three basic types of accounts and their tax treatment. Sure, so Roth is probably the easiest. So we're just gonna focus on when the money comes out. We're not talking about dividends or investment income or anything like that. We're talking about you call up your advisor and say, I want $3,000, okay? That's where we're picking this up at. So if you take money out of a Roth, and I'm assuming everyone is of, of the retirement age, okay? So over 59 and a half. Taking money out of a Roth, tax-free, okay? So you're not paying any taxes on that. That's easy. A traditional IRA. So you have a 401k, you have an IRA, maybe you have a 401k that rolled into an IRA. You take funds out of that. Let's say you live in Oregon, you're paying your federal personal tax rate and your Oregon personal tax rate for every dollar that comes out of that. And every dollar is added to your income for the year. Correct, it's cumulative. Lastly, and the most flexible and least straightforward is a taxable account, a brokerage account, a after-tax joint account. It, there's many names that come with it, but essentially this is money you've already paid tax on, you're investing it, and when you take it out, it's really taxed in one of two ways. So let's say you bought Apple stock at $1,000 in January, okay? It goes up uh, 100%, you sell it in June of the same year, okay? So you paid 1000 $1,000 gain, sold it for 2000 That $1,000 gain that you have is a realized capital gain. It's a short-term gain because you owned Apple stock less than one year. So you're gonna pay your personal federal rate and maybe some state tax as well, okay? Let's say you bought that Apple stock in January for $1,000. Following January, so it's been over a year, you sell that same Apple stock for $2,000, $1,000 gain. You're gonna pay, in most cases, 15% federal long-term capital gain and maybe some long-term state capital gain tax as well, okay? But the beauty of the taxable account is just because in the first scenario, let's say, or even the second scenario, just because you realized a gain, that doesn't mean that's set in stone. So let's take, let's take the same example where I 
realized a capital gain, let's say I sell a stock in March of 2023, and I have a $10,000 $10, realized capital gain, okay? During that same year, let's say in October, I sell another stock, but I have a $10,000 realized loss, right? I had a winner, I sold, I got the $10,000 gain. I, I've also got a loser, which I sold. I have a $10,000 loss. Those two wash out, okay? So my, my gain in March, I might've taken those funds out, used them to go on a vacation. I essentially got money out of my account Sold in October, sold another position at a loss, thus wiping out my capital gain. I enjoyed my vacation. I paid zero in taxes. I think what's hard for people to understand about the taxable account is that the, the gains and losses aren't shored up until essentially January 1 of the following year. Right, which is why when we do some of these exotic direct indexing or trying to reduce a position that has a deep embedded gain, like let's say a portfolio is out of whack, it's got a concentration in, in stock, a mutual fund that you don't want to own anymore, and that's held in a taxable account. We want to start the unwinding of that early in the calendar year because it gives us eight, nine, 10 months to sell other positions in that portfolio at a potential loss to smooth out your capital gains. Okay, so most people have heard of tax lost harvest. That's something that is table stakes. Your advisor should be doing that every fall or winter to look at your realized capital gains throughout the calendar year and look to sell positions at a loss to help mitigate that capital gain. Okay, so I think that's a good baseline for the three different types of accounts and their tax treatment. So let's go through kind of the order of operations for the average person that has all three different tax types and how they might take distributions from retirement through their lifetime. So before we get to that, I think it's important to note, it's really nice to have different pots of money because it allows you options, right? If, if you've worked and invested in your 401k your whole life, you've rolled that 401k into an IRA and that's all you have, that's great. That's a good job of saving, but this conversation is not, not for you. If you have a traditional IRA, a Roth, a taxable account, this is where you can start to prioritize certain accounts and where you take withdrawals from to create the least amount of tax drag in your current plan. And everybody wants to save on taxes. You know, we talk a lot about taking the low hanging fruit and how it's important to focus on the things we can control. Your order of operation of where you take funds from is something very much you can control. It takes zero hot takes. It takes zero skill on what the market does next. It's simply the low-hanging fruit. So to answer your question, you said, where should you prioritize taking funds out of? Mm -hmm. okay. 65, just retired. I need a distribution. And I call you up. Where does that money come from? Assuming you have all three account types, taxable, mm -hmm. traditional IRA, Roth. The first place you should look is in the after-tax taxable account, okay? And that's for the reasons that I stated. Just because you're taking money out, that doesn't mean it's taxable, okay? You play the movie forward for the rest of the year. If you have a skilled advisor, they will do whatever they can in their power to help reduce or even wash out your capital gain. If there was any saving grace about 2022, that was an ugly year, everything was down. That allowed us to go in and get rid of positions that we did not want to own, that were not part of our asset allocation, that were over allocated or overweight within a strategy. 
Okay, so every fall, part of our operation at Pure is we go through every taxable account and we look to reduce all of our clients' realized capital gain throughout the year, okay? So that taxable account really is not prioritized in building up in mainstream advice, but I, I actually think it's a really powerful tool for, for taxes, especially when you start to, start to draw on assets. So long think, story short, sorry, go ahead, Aaron. I think that it's underrated in terms that it's always last on the list of accounts to fund because there's no immediate tax advantage. No, it's true. Like people, people care about taxes and with, with a 401k, with an IRA, you potentially get instant gratification in reducing your tax bill today mm -hmm. with a taxable account. You're still potentially getting a tax benefit, but it comes way later down the road. And most people want something today. Mm -hmm. So we have to be a little bit more forward thinking. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is if you, if you want to invest, but you don't want to have your money locked up until you're 59 and a half, it's just another vehicle that you can still do that. But if you need to access the funds, you have access to it. No, and, and that's, that's a really good point. And for me personally, and, and I don't want to go off the rails here because we're talking about taking money out in retirement, but mm -hmm. I can say I'm, I'm 41. Of course, I save money in my 401k. That's great. But I can't access that money without taking a penalty for another almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I like the flexibility of having a after-tax account. I don't get a tax break today, but it's nice to be able to access, access that money if I come into a pinch or want to make another investment or anything like that. And it's especially great for people who retire early before 59 and a half. So and we'll talk about that in a different podcast. We've talked about it in the past, but true magic can happen if you have a sizable taxable portfolio and you retire early. Food for thought, but please continue. Okay. okay. So the next place, so we talked about the taxable account. That's the best place to take funds out. Okay. From, from a tax standpoint, the next best place is a traditional IRA. Now back to my earlier comments, anything you take out of that is going to be taxable at the Fed and state level potentially, okay? And you need to be mindful of the income tax brackets. If you're single, if you're married, you need to understand what's gonna push you into the next highest bracket. Like I just had a client meeting yesterday, we looked at all of her income and we decided, okay, you really need to stay below 95,000 in income, in ordinary income for 2023. So, so you need to understand your breaking point because it could affect your healthcare benefits. It could affect all sorts of other things. Okay. Taxable first, traditional IRA second. The last place that you should look is a Roth. And this strikes people as kind of odd because the money comes out tax-free, but think how powerful, let's say you have a hundred thousand in your Roth account. Let's say you invest that over, let's say you retire and you're going to invest that over the next 20 years. And you take that hundred thousand and you turn it into 350,000. Like that's a really powerful pot of money. 350,000 tax-free. Like if you adjust that up for taxes, like let's say you magically turn that 350k into a traditional IRA, right? That's that's more like 550,000 or 500,000 when you consider when you pull funds out you're paying taxes. So mm -hmm. don't sell yourself short on the magic of compounding over time a tax-free pot of money. And in previous podcasts and blogs, I've talked about how your Roth should be invested more aggressively, all things being equal, to your true household risk profile because you want to maxi maximize that tax-deferred benefit. It doesn't make any sense to own a, 
a short-term bond, let's say, in a Roth in a Roth IRA because you're not really capitalizing on that tax-deferred growth benefit. So I'm, I'm speaking in general terms. Your situation could be different. You could make the case for taking money out of a Roth if you took money out of a traditional IRA and it could bump you up to a higher tax rate. So there's one-off cases. This is not black and white. We're speaking in general terms. Taxable account first, traditional IRA second, Roth last. Yeah, and for all of those reasons that you just mentioned, that's why it is so empowering to have options because every situation is going to be different. Everyone has different moving parts. So if you can pick and choose where you take money from, it can save you a lot of money, especially in taxes in the long run. Yeah, what's that saying that you like so much? Uh, everyone has to pay taxes. No one says you have to leave a tip. Yeah, I do like that saying. Oh, based on your delayed response, it seems like uh, maybe you don't. I think I learned that from you, so maybe you, you know, like it so much. <laughs> Morgan Stanley said that, and for those of you that listen to me know that I don't like anything having to do with Wall Street because I came from that world, but Morgan Stanley did say that, so hat tip to Morgan Stanley. There are some good that comes out of it. Okay, I think that uh, about does well, it. I hope you enjoyed that. Well, let's talk about some kind of real-world examples, case studies, where we've seen uh, this breakdown. So just as one quick example, um, we often see clients anchor to some nonsensical things. They make decisions based off of personal emotions, beliefs, etc. So one way that we see this show up is with money that has come through an inheritance. So in this situation, we have a client who received an inheritance in a taxable account. And again, there's a lot of emotion that comes with that. Oftentimes you will associate that money with the person who you received it from. And this client was more interested in taking money out of a traditional IRA than the taxable account because they didn't like seeing the taxable account go down over time. It's hard to see that because you you receive that money from a loved one. You don't want to see that go away. It's kind of one of the last pieces that you have from them. So again, there's a lot of emotion that comes out of it, but we're not doing our job if we aren't recommending the right account to take it from to save them the most money. And we can make recommendations all day long. Ultimately, it's up to the client and what they want to do. But those that's just one way that your personal biases can show up in not making the most prudent choices in distributions. Well, and in hard and fast numbers, this would equal ten th tens of thousands of dollars in unnecessary taxes paid. Mm -hmm. And when you take a plan that's favorable and you start leaking tens of thousands of dollars every year for 30 years, that's one thing that can throw you off the rails, okay? Mm -hmm. Another way I've seen people screw this up and I don't know what this says about marital dynamics or what have you, but they'll take the attitude of what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours and let's keep it separate. And I'm going to take funds out of this account um, and not that account, you know, so they kind of silo it off and it's not really a team approach. And that can lead to some leaks as well, which again, I'm not saying that uh, there's marital problems or they're on the verge of divorce or thinking of anything like that. It's just more of a, it's not, it's not a team approach. It's not a cohesive unit. It's more siloed off. Mm -hmm. 
That would be a great podcast episode, managing finances as a married couple. Yeah, no, like I, I really like that because we all can speak to it. If you're married, you can speak to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they fall in a few different categories, but we can yeah. leave it there. So tune back into Blind Spots sometime for that episode. But I think that wraps it up for this one. So if you have any questions about taking distributions, you can reach out to us at insight at pureportfolios.com and we will see you in the next one.